Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page eight. This is a special prayer. On the top of page eight, um, this prayer, we don't know who penned the prayer, but the earliest source of it being recited was by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, um, casually known as Rebbe. Who's heard of Rabbi Yudah the Prince by raise of hands? Anybody know what he was famous for? Did he wrote down the Talmud, maybe? Close, yeah. He wrote down the Mishnah. Mishnah. The Mishnah is basically a, a... Sorry, yeah, what? No, the, isn't it the discussed law? So the, 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 the discussion of what it's about. Exactly, exactly. The Mishnah is basically a brief summary of the oral law. Talmud is the discussion of that and, and trying to apply it and trying to understand the reasons behind it. But the actual brief bullet point notes, if you will, that was compiled by Rabbi Judah the Prince. And he used to recite this prayer after the Amida every single day. Is, is he the one that in Perkyavos it says if these sages were on one side of the scale and he was on the other, he'd outweigh them all? Is that... I don't remember. I don't remember if he was part of that uh, part of that group. I don't remember offhand, but I can look it up. You can check it up, chapter two. Um, but he used to recite this after the Amida. Now, our tradition, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but we recite it in the morning. We recite it before the Amida. But here's something interesting. We've recited numerous blessings since the beginning, and we've gone through all the blessings. Starting from page five, middle of the page, where we learned about Natila Yadayim, up until the bottom of page seven, how many blessings are there? We've recited 18 blessings. Right from Natila Yadayim, page five till page seven, there's 18 blessings. This is like a miniature Amida. The Amida has 18 blessings. So although he recited it after the formal Amida, we recited after the informal Amida. This isn't the Amida, but it represents the Amida. Let's quickly go through the actual prayer in English, and then we'll discuss it um, line by line, as we did with the previous one, making meaning of it. We're, we're, um, we're going to gain insight into half of it. We're going to learn the next half next week. But let's just read through the whole thing real quick. Top of page eight. You with me? May it be your will, Lord my God and God of my fathers, to protect me this day and every day from insolent men and from impudence, from a wicked man and from an evil companion, from an evil neighbor, from an evil occurrence, from an evil eye, from a malicious tongue, from slander, from false testimony, from men's hate, from calmness charges, from unnatural death, from harsh diseases, and from misfortune, from destructive adversary, and from harsh judgment, from implicable opponent, from an implicable opponent. Hebrew, so much easier for me. These are tongue twisters. <laughs> Whether or not he's a member of the covenant, and from the retribution of Gehinnom purgatory. Just quick correction: it's implacable opponent, not implacable. In Where are we? Where are you? Where, where is this? The one that you said it's easier to read Hebrew. Oh, <laughs> there we go. 
<laughs> okay. Let's let's take it from the top. Top of the page. May it be your will, Lord my God and God of my fathers. Um, in general, in the, the many of our prayers are in the merit of our fathers. Even if we aren't meritorious, even if we are not meritorious, um, or there's reasons where we may not be meritorious, we say, God, in the merit of our fathers, we are continuing their tradition. We are continuing. So, you know, help help us out. And we're asking God to protect me on this day and every day. Asking God to protect us. The previous prayer, the bottom of page seven, that we learned last week and two weeks ago was primarily discussing God to uh, was was primarily beseeching that God protect us spiritually. Accustom us to study Torah, accustom us to make Judaism Jewish behavior and Jewish tradition comfortable rather than foreign. Accustom us to listen to the good inclination, the Yetzer Tov. Let us that let that be our natural impulse rather than the Yetzer the evil impulse. Over here, we're talking not about um, internal challenges and adversity, but external adversity. We're beseeching that God protect us from external adversity. And the first one we ask is. So again, the second line of page eight, to protect me this day and every day from insolent men and from impudence. Okay, I don't like translations. And one of the reasons is, <laughs> I say this a lot, but number one, translations aren't always, you know, it, it's limiting. But in this case, I don't even know what these words mean. <laughs> the Hebrew is so much easier for me. Let's look at the Hebrew. Um, go to the first line, the, the last word of the first line. I'm going to read and translate word by word. The, the first word, the, sorry, the last word of the first line. You see it? Shetatsi leni. Save me. Hayom, second line. Hayom, today. Uvacholyom, every day. Okay? Me'aze fanim. They translate that as from insolent men. Aze means strong fanim faces. Strong faces. Protect me from people who have strong faces. What does that mean? I'm just translating really literally here. Just literal translation. Strong faces. Opinionated. People who are opinionated, but even more than that. Chutzpah. Right? We all know what chutzpah means. People who have audacity. They have a strong face, which means they just don't get intimidated. They have no shame. They have chutzpah. Their opinion, and not only their opinion, their whole demeanor uh, comes at the expense of all human regard externally that, that is external from them. That's called az panim, a strong face. Where az means strong, panim means your face. They have chutzpah. They have no shame. And we ask God, protect us. Let us not be intimidated. From those who are shameless. The very first law in the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch is the Jewish code of law. Again, we discussed a couple of minutes the Mishnah laid out by Rabbi Judah the Prince, 
mission is these brief bullet points, and then it's further elaborated and discussed and debated in the Talmud. But if you wanted to decipher Jewish law back in the day, you really have to be fluent in the whole Talmud because Talmud is discussions. So let's say we're discussing Jewish law in the Mishnah, right? That's what the Talmud is. It's a discussion of the Mishnah. So you're discussing tefillin, right? But then you start getting into a whole discussion about Shabbos. Can you wear tefillin on Shabbos? And now we go on this tangent about Shabbos. <laughs> and then what do you eat on Shabbos? You know, so it's, there's a lot of tangents to really um, decipher Jewish law from the Talmud. You have to have been fluent in the entire Talmud, which is from here. Hold on. From there. There we go. Right there. For those watching. That's the whole Talmud. <laughs> That's a lot, right? So, so we have the Shulchan Aruch, which is basically a codification of the Talmud. It was organized in a more topical way. So all of the laws of Tefillin are here. All of the laws of Shabbos are here. And the very first law that appears in the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, authored by Rabbi Yosef Cairo, is do not be intimidated by scoffers. Essentially, those who have azepanim, those who are shameless. When it comes to those who are shameless, who scoff against religious practice, don't be intimidated by them. That's the very first, it's in the very first paragraph of the Shulchan Aruch. In other words, we're about to tell you how to perform Jewish law, how to follow God's practices. But the very first thing you need to know is not to be intimidated by scoffers. And what we're now, how do we do that? We're asking God to help us, right? Go back to the prayer. May it be your will, Lord, my God and God of my fathers. We're asking God to help us, right? Help a brother here to protect me this day and every day from insolent men, from those who have azefanim, from those who have audacity. Okay. And then we say, the next line, and from impudence. I'm going to go, I'm going to refer back to the Hebrew, the second, uh, second line, third to last word, and from us having strong faces, from us being shameless. So God, protect me from people who are shameless, who have chutzpah, who are, uh, have audacity, and protect me from being that type of person. Um, often when we deal with, when, you know, it, it's likely to become the person you're fighting against. <laughs> so if we're working with people who have audacity, we're going to have audacity. So, so the way it translates it, said from insolent men and it could have said after that and from being insolent yes exactly exactly 100 percent. in other words there's somebody who has chutzpah there's somebody who's a scoffer there's somebody whom they make our uh, uh intimidate us in terms of our religious observance we ask god save us from these people what's likely to happen were we to not rely on God, is that we become like them as a defense mechanism. We lose our sensitivity. Are they 
is the prayer specifically talking about Jews who might intimidate you or Jews and non-Jews? People in general, hmm. Jews and non-Jews. In other words, there's this balance. There's, there's this balance between needing thick skin, yet not losing sensitivity. You need thick skin because you got to um, you gotta hold strong. We can't be intimidated. On the other hand, we can't lose sensitivity. So God's that. So the easier thing is God save me from encountering those types of people, and I won't have to be thick skinned. I could still be sensitive. Having shame, I don't mean God forbid being ashamed. It's very different than having shame, right? Having sensitivity—that's a better word. Having sensitivity is a Jewish trait. It doesn't necessarily come natural to being Jewish. Jews are known to be opinionated into, you know, Jackie Mason's routine of the Jew in the restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? You, <laughs> you got to check it up on YouTube afterwards. Jackie Mason's a classic routine of the Jew in the restaurant where the Jew walks in like he owns the place. He says the, the Gentile walks in and, you know, a little bit more bashful and okay, where are we being seated? The Jew walks in. He knows the he owns the place. He's he's okay. Let's put me at this table. No, no, no. Put me at that table. The food's too hot. Too Whatever. He is a he is a good J Jews. I guess the stereotype of Jewish people is being opinionated, but Jews are expected to develop sensitivity, and especially through Torah. Another way of saying saying it would be to be humble. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, the Talmud says there are three traits that would indicate somebody is of the Jewish faith. They have shame. I guess we have Jewish guilt, right? <laughs> they have benevolence. And they have mercy, compassion. Those are Jewish traits. To the extent that there were the Givonites, the Givonim, in the days of King David, they were a nation whom they lacked these traits. And King David, as the Jewish uh, monarch of the time, ruled that these people are not allowed to convert to Judaism. He did not permit them to convert to Judaism because they were known to lack these three traits. These are considered to be uh, important Jewish traits. Where does um, Azefanim, this idea of being insensitive, this idea of being thick-skinned, this idea of being um, having chutzpah, chutzpah could be a good thing, right? But 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 where does where does this come from? We had in Hayom Yom. I think it was a week ago. It's an, it's an incredible Hayom Yom. I, I don't remember the date, so I apologize. Hayom Yom said that there's a fine line between being cold, spiritually cold, and being heretical. Heresy and coldness are so similar. Apathy and heresy. 
I don't care about God or I don't believe in God. There's a very fine line between the two. Which is why, especially amongst Hasidim, we, we put such an emphasis on joy. We put an emphasis on light. We put an emphasis on, on fire, on passion. Because coldness leads to heresy. Not caring and not believing are, are, are so similar. This is the Amalek, the Amalekites. As soon as we left Egypt, the very first nation to try to cool us down was the Amalekites, right? Amalek. There's a mitzvah to destroy Amalek and to destroy their uh, descendants. We don't know whom is part of Amalek anymore, but the concept of Amalek, definitely something we need to work on destroying. The concept of Amalek is that idea of just cool it, take a chill, relax. Don't be so, you know, it, it's okay. The Hebrew word Amalek has the same numerical value as the Hebrew word Safek, which means doubt. When we experience doubts, am I really, you know, self-doubt or religious doubt? Or that that this is Amalek, and this is considered Azus. This lack of shame. This is it's the sensitivity. Sixteenth of Shvat. Okay, perfect. Right after Tu Bishvat. Right after Tu Bishvat. Okay. Before we move on, any questions, thoughts, comments? Okay. Let's move on to the next. So there's three things we say. We say, save us from... Uh, insolent men and from impudence, which means from people who have audacity and from us having audacity. From a wicked man, from an evil companion, and from an evil neighbor. Right? In Hebrew. Last word on the second line. Me'adamra. For me, they, they, they just translating it simply, it makes it simple. Adam Ra from a bad person, Mechavera from a bad friend, or Mishachen Ra of a bad neighbor. We, ha we had this similar prayer um, earlier, the previous prayer. But again, before we were referring to the internal inclination, now we're referring to our external world. Save us not only from internal bad, but external bad as well take a look we're going to jump ahead a little bit take a look on we're going to jump to Pirkei Elvis. John you mentioned Pirkei Elvis before yes Pirkei Elvis, by the way just we were talking just to put everything into context we were talking about the Mishnah Pirkei Elvis is a section of the Mishnah most of Mishnah deals with law Pirkei Elvis deals with the values but it is nonetheless considered part of the Mishnah and was redacted by Rabbi Judah the Prince. We're going to go to the first chapter of Pirkei Avos. It's page. Hold on. Um, page 274. Sorry, 272. Paragraph 7. 
Okay, you with me? Paragraph seven. Nitai of Arabel said, keep away from a bad neighbor. It's again, in our prayer here, we ask God, keep us away from bad people, from bad companions, bad neighbors. So Nitai of Arabel said, keep away from a bad neighbor. Do not fraternize with the wicked man. Okay. When it comes to a bad neighbor, keep away. When it comes to a bad person, do not fraternize. What's fraternize? Like a fraternity? You stay away. Yeah, you don't hang out. Yeah, hang. It's, it's uh, like in college, there's fraternities. Like a fraternity. Okay, it's like to hang out, right? In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it says chaber. Do not connect. Okay. When it comes to a neighbor who's bad, it's your home. It's your dwelling. It's a place where you spend time. You got to keep away. When it comes to a person who's bad, but they're not your neighbor, you don't need to keep away. Just don't fraternize. Don't how do I pronounce it. Don't fraternize with them. Did mm -hmm. I get it right? There we go. Yeah. Don't Very fraternize good. with them. Don't connect with them in, in, in the same deep way. But you should. Doesn't mean you need to distance yourself. Why not? Why shouldn't you distance it? Why should you distance yourself from a bad neighbor? But from a bad person, don't fraternize, but you don't have to distance yourself. Because you have to be a role model for them. Bingo. That's what the commentaries on Perky was explain. When it comes to neighbors that are bad, they're going to influence you. You live with them. You see them all the time. They become the barometer of what's acceptable. But when it comes to people that are bad, individuals, they're not in your neighborhood. They're not in your environment. They're not your barometer for what's bad or sorry, for what's normal, for what's good. So you should be there, be there as a role model. Just don't fraternize. Don't get too close to where you're going to get influenced. And again, none of this can happen if it ain't God's will, if he's not going to help us and if we're not going to ask for it. Okay. Next. Um. Um, wait, I don't know yeah. if I missed it, but the prayer, does it say something about you not being the bad neighbor and the person who, who um, so it's like you protect you from them, but protect you from being them. That's a good point. It, the prayer does not mention that. But that's not a good prayer then, because it doesn't <laughs> I wouldn't say it's not a good prayer. I would say it's a presumptuous prayer. It doesn't, it's not all inclusive. <laughs> it's, it's presumptuous. Mm -hmm. it, it's assuming that you are that good person already. Right, okay. so it, let, let me put it this way. If, if you're asking to stay away from bad people, yeah. the assumption is? That you're good. <laughs> right. Okay. You get, they hit it in the voodoo afterwards anyway, right? What? They hit it in the Vidui in right. the afternoon. No, no, there, there are prayers where we do ask God that we shouldn't be bad, correct? That we shouldn't be that bad person. 100%. 100%. But, but the assumption is look, look at it this way. We've gone through 18 different prayers. If you include the Moda, only 19 different prayers. 19 different meditations. And if we've 
internalize each of those meditations where we ask God to open our eyes, where we see a greater depth, greater depth in the world, greater depth in people. And we've really gone through these meditations. I'm not going to be that bad person <laughs> um, in a perfect world. Obviously, to meditate through all of these prayers on a daily basis all the time is going to, you know, ain't nobody got time for that. We've got to work for a living. But but I the idea is if at, at this point, the assumption is we're not bad and we got to stay away from bad. Whereas when it comes to impudence, when it comes to arrogance, when it comes to um, audacity, you could still have that. 100%. Another thing we ask, if you look on the fourth line in English, toward the end of the line, and from an evil occurrence. Okay. And then we say from an evil eye. Protect us from an evil eye in the Hebrew. Last two words on the third line, ayin hara, from a bad eye. Keep us away from a bad eye. What's a bad eye? They have here four explanations. But be before we get to that, we're going to go back to Perkyavos. We're going to flip again ahead. But this time to chapter two of Perkyavos. Page something. Two seventy three, two seventy four. Right. So, so one, one more. Two seventy six, because it's towards the middle of the of the thing. You see him. Page two seventy six, paragraph eleven. It's the middle of the page. Rabbi Joshua said, the evil eye, you can look in the Hebrew where it says Yudal for Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Ayin Hara, the evil eye, the evil inclination, and the hatred of one's fellow drive, uh, one's fellow, drive a man from the world. The evil eye takes you out of this world. What is an evil eye? What's, an, what's a bad eye? The commentaries on Perkeyavos um, um, share different, offer different um, ideas as to what that means. What does an evil eye mean? But before we discuss the commentaries, there's three or four commentaries I'd like to share. There's fascinating commentaries on Perkeyavos, just really insightful. But do you guys have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts? What's an evil eye? You heard of the concept of an evil eye? Uh, I might have an example. I might explain it. Okay. Um, when when you give uh, sadaka, uh, you should have a cheerful countenance. If you give the sadaka and and you look angry to the to person, then it's almost like you didn't give the sadaka. Okay. True. Comment. Uh, uh, the the uh, halachic authorities explain the the halachic commentaries explain that sadaka has to be given with with joy because part of it is not just giving the person the money they need but making them feel good if you could give somebody money and make them feel good for taking it, it it's it's a big deal and that's that's a good eye and you're saying that would be an, an evil eye would be like okay good any other thoughts you can stare somebody down i guess 
That right. makes me That's the, the stingray they call it. Right? Give them the stingray. <laughs> um, maybe looking at somebody with negative expectations. Okay, negative expectations of somebody else. Yeah, so kind yeah. of putting that things negative. Okay. In other words, almost expecting the word, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, as they say, you know, expecting the worst of them. Yeah. You know, it's like, why are you late? And you knew they were going to be late. You wanted them to be late so you could call them out for being late. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that would be an evil lie. Okay. One of the classic commentaries, not only on Pirkei Avos, but on the entire Mishnah, is known as Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura. If you ever want to study Mishnah in depth, he's the go-to. And the reason is because, again, we mentioned that the Talmud is a commentary on the Mishnah, right? Not just a commentary, it's a discussion of the Mishnah. Rabbi uh, Ovadia of Bartanura basically is a commentary that summarizes the conclusion of the Talmud. So you don't have to read through the whole Talmud to understand the Mishnah and the whole discussion back and forth with all tangents. tangents. He just gives you the point, but based on the Talmud. I'll give you the Talmud's anticipated question. The answer with the halacha uh, is, and in his commentary on Perky Alvis, he explains, what does a bad eye mean? It's almost like a jealousy. I'm not satisfied with what I have. Never good enough. I never have enough. I always want more. And I'm always looking at what I have. It's not good enough. And what other people have, they have much more. They have it much better. I was just, I was just going on a, uh, I was walking with somebody a couple of days ago. They're going through a very difficult time with their adolescent child. They wanted to chat with me about it. And he says, why am I going through such a difficult time? And it seems like everybody else is going through such an easy time with their children. Why can't my child be like other people's children? I said, I was just chatting with somebody else who's going through, with their, uh, going through uh, their share, their fair share with their adolescent child. And they said the exact same thing <laughs> a couple of days prior. Everybody has their package. We don't know what, what other people are going through. But a person with an evil eye is going to say, I don't have it that good. And everybody has it better. They're not satiated with what they have. It's almost like a jealousy. It was last week's Torah portion, the tenth, number 10 of the Ten Commandments. Right? Not to covet, not to be jealous. Commentaries explain where does jealousy come from? Sharon, you mentioned it. Expectations. Yeah, and there's also like a thing with that, and that's comparison. You should never compare. You should just, because, yeah, because if you're comparing, you are being jealous, or you can't, you kind of, um, I don't know, weighing up, or you should just live your life. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Well, isn't, it, it, isn't it kind of in a way the opposite of jealousy? Like jealousy means you wish you could be like the other person, but in this case, you're kind of wanting them to come down to your level. Like, but why can't their kid also be giving them problems? <laughs> so I guess that's even worse than jealousy. Uh, but, but jealousy is essentially comparing why can't I have what they have? But, 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 in, but Sharon, where does that comparing come from? The comparing comes from expectation. Yeah, it's absolutely. And, and, and it's two things. It's not just expectations. It's a lack of, it's of, of appreciation 
of what God does give us. God gives us, and, and I hate saying this, and I'll tell you why. When we're in a class and everything's good and I have my Diet Coke, it's very easy to say this. <laughs> but when, God forbid, life does bring difficult situations, it, it's difficult. And so whoever is listening to this recording and whoever's with us here live, we say this without judgment. We say this conceptually and together we try to apply this. But this is absolutely with no judgment with those who are going through a really difficult time in their life and are, are looking to others and saying, why can't life be better? Again, this is without judgment. But I'll tell you a story. It's a cute analogy. There's a guy who's going through a really difficult time. And he says, God, my life sucks. <laughs> Give me a new life. I can't do it anymore. I can't. I need a new life. So he hears a voice from heaven. He says, God heard me. God says, I, I'll, I'll grant you a, luna, a new life, but I need $20. That's what it's going to cost. God, I only have $20. That's all I have. And I need that $20 for gas to get home. I'm going to use it for the gas for my car. God says, wait a minute, you have a car? Give me $20 and your car. I'll give you a new life. God, if I give you $20 and my car, I'm not going to be able to pick up my kids from school. <laughs> Wait a minute. You have kids? $20, your car, your kids, give them to me, and I'll give you a new life. God, if I come home, Without my kids, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> it's not going to be good. God says, okay, I didn't realize that you had a wife too. Wow. $20, your car, your kids, your wife, hand them over. And I'll give you a new life. The price of a new life. God, if I give that all to you, I'm going to come home. I'm going to be so lonely. You have a home. $20, your car, your kids, your wife, your home. Hand them over. And I will uh, I will give you your new life. He hands them all over to God. I'm going to give it to you because <laughs> I just can't handle it anymore. God gives him back the $20. Gives him back the car. Gives him back his kids. Gives him back his wife. Gives him his home and says i'm giving these back to you on loan and if you use these properly the way i would want you to use these it's going to be a new life if your car is used for good things for positive things for doing mitzvahs for bringing goodness to the world you're going to have a new life a good life a good eye you're going to see things differently if you raise your kids as I would want you to raise them, with Jewish values, a Torah education, faith, being a mensch, you're going to have a new life. You're going to see things differently. If you treat your wife as I would treat her, 
with respect, with love, with dignity, being faithful, being kind. Commitment. You're going to have a new life. You're going to see things differently. If you use your home to facilitate not only your existence, but something more meaningful and deep, invite guests to your home, be benevolent, make it a peaceful place, put a mezuzah on your door, have a Shabbat dinner there. You're going to have a different life, a new life. You're going to see things differently. The Bartanura, Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura explains, what does that evil eye mean? I'm just never satisfied. Rabbeinu Yona, Rabbi Yona, with another commentary on Pirkei Avot, takes it all new level. Bad eye means you're not happy with what you have. Not only are you not satisfied, you're not happy with what we have. We have to be happy with what we have. And he explains, this, this is a commentary from the medieval ages, roughly 900 years ago. Perkeavos was authored 1,800 years ago, maybe a little bit more. A little bit more. This commentary was authored 900 years ago, and he says, science agrees. We could, these days we would call it psychology. But there was no formal study of psychology. But psychology would agree that if a person isn't happy with what they have and always wants more and is jealous, it's going to take, again, look back at the Perikyavot, the evil eye, all these things drive a person out of this world. It's going to take them out of this world that's going to kill them. Because there's going to be a somatic effect. Our mental health impacts our physical health. And if we're not happy, if we're not appreciative, and if we're always wanting more and always jealous, we're going to feel an immense amount of psychological pressure. It's going to lead to unhealthy uh, lifestyles, unhealthy effects. This is what he says. <laughs> he was way ahead of his, his um, field, way ahead of the times in terms of psychology. And it's, it's going to have an adverse effect on us. It's going to literally kill a person, take them out of this world. It's not a punishment. It's not that, oh, if you have the evil eye, you're going to, God is going to take it out of the world. It's a consequence. Okay. Commentary number three. Known as the Yachin. Again, a classic commentary on the Pirkei Havas. He says, an evil eye means I'm blinded from faith. From seeing things from the paradigm of faith, from seeing things from the paradigm of how Torah uh, tells us to see it. I don't see things from a Torah perspective. I see things from a, a, a godly soul perspective. I see things from a divine, uh, an animal soul perspective. And I allow the doubts to get the best of me. Do I believe in God? Do I not believe in God? I don't know. You give more, you know, very often it's like, I don't know, how do I, how can I believe in God if I have doubts? It really should be the other way around. How can I believe in doubts if I have God? <laughs> it's just a question of perspective. And the evil eye means, let me put it this way. We're following our eyes, which is evil. Because we can't go by what we see. We never judge by first impressions. Right? When, you, when you meet a person, you hopefully don't judge just, them, just by what you see. You get to know them, get to understand them. 
empathize with them. There's a story beyond what meets the eye. Like we say in the Shema, don't astray after your heart and after your eyes. There's so much more than what meets the eye. When we recite the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We're trying to listen. We're not trying to see. We're trying to listen. What's the difference between seeing and listening? When you see, you make an instant judgment. It's all right there. It's very easy to judge so quickly. When you listen, you're forced to process things one step at a time, one word at a time, one concept at a time. That's why when we say the Shema, we close our eyes. Let's not go by what we see. Let's listen. Because spirituality, divinity, God, the soul, these are not things that you can see. These are things we have to listen to. God, protect me from the evil eye. That's, we close our eyes during the Shema because we don't want to see. We want to experience. Okay, we're gonna, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. We'll continue the next half of the prayer next week.